Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Follin. Thanks for listening. This time, let's find out what it's like being freelance for copywriter Kirsty Fanton. I was just feeling like a little bit flat about what I was doing. I left my counselling career with the idea of creating and shaping this lifestyle that I would love. One thing I've been very good at is putting myself in front of the right people to get better and to get more work. And I think there is maybe a tendency for people to get caught up in just thinking about the bottom line, but it's also not the be-all and end-all. I think there's so much other wealth in life apart from money. Yeah, so there is Kirsty, who is a freelance copywriter, more more specifically, actually, an email campaign copywriter. Uh, so looking forward to hearing about how she sort of niched into that. Currently living in Sydney in Australia. So yes, that's coming up in a moment. Uh, let me first of all vote, just say hello to you if you've come up and said hi recently at one of the talks that I've been doing. Thanks very much. I'm glad they went well and looking forward to doing more soon. There is one more to come in the imminent future. If you're in the UK, I'm sorry if you're somewhere else. Well, I'm not because you're probably living a lovely life. But if you're in the UK, I am doing something as part of National Freelancers Day, which is run by Ipsy. And it is uh, well an event sort of taking place sporadically across the UK. But at the event in London, I'm actually going to be doing the podcast live. We're going to have two guests instead of one. And obviously, we're going to have a live audience instead of just me sitting here with my cat. But other than that, it's just like the podcast. So if you are in London on the 28th of June, then there is loads of different talks and things going on all day long. Part of that is the podcast being done live. I'm also doing a talk, actually, uh, sort of like a workshop type thing on how freelancers can use video to build, uh, you know, help promote their business and, and things like that. So you can come along to that too. search for National Freelancers UK, London 2018, you know, stick that in Google, you'll find it or go to beingfreelance.com and click on events and it is listed there as well. Also, at beingfreelance.com, of course, sign up for the newsletter so you don't miss out on things like that. You can find the vlog and loads of great articles as well. So please, as well as all of the podcasts, all of the guests, do take a look. And thank you so much for all the nice comments about what I'm doing with all of this. If you're enjoying it, please do leave a review where it's possible to leave one. But also, more importantly, just share it. Be it sharing online or sharing it in person when you meet other freelancers. But yeah, help spread the word. Right, enough waffle. Let's crack on and go to Australia and talk to freelance copywriter Kirsty Fanton. Hey, Kirsty. Hey, Steve. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for doing this. So how about, as ever, we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Yeah, for sure. So I got started being freelance in quite a roundabout way. <laughs> um, I work as a copywriter now, as you said. But if we rewind a few years, I was actually working as a counsellor. So once I finished high school, went to uni, undergrad, postgrad, did all those things, worked as a counsellor for maybe five or six years, I think it was. Really enjoyed it. was having a great career. Things were going well. And then in 2014, my partner and I decided we wanted to pack our bags and go on a belated gap year. Um, so we went and lived in France for 12 months, which was amazing, um, and essentially spent that time doing uh, anything that we wouldn't do here in our normal lives in Sydney. So lots of farm work, worked on a few vineyards, um, all those sorts of fun things. And during that time away, I kept a blog, um, not for any commercial purpose, but just to keep friends and family updated on what we were doing, 
and obviously keep them across all our funny stories because when you put two Aussies in France who don't speak French (laughs) and also, I mean, my partner grew up on a farm so he had practical skills but I can assure you I have none. So putting me on vineyards and foie gras farms and all those sorts of things was quite amusing. Um, So I kept that blog and then by the time we got back to Australia, um, some of my friends had actually started their own business and they were looking for someone to write their copy. So they approached me because they'd enjoyed uh, the way I'd written about France on my blog um, and things got started for me from there. Wow. So so when was that? So by 2015, is that what you got back? Um, yes, yeah, so I got back at the end of 2015 um, and then I was working sort of just, just outside. of. So I got another counselling job when I got back because I was pretty broke after not earning money for 12 months, but um, was doing the copy on the side to start with. So about 10 hours a week, I think it was. How cool is that? So if you hadn't have taken the year out, you might not be doing what you do now. I know. It's like sliding doors. Yeah. So what um, what sort of counsellor was it? Um, so I specialised uh, in pe- helping people that were affected by chronic and terminal illness. Um, so worked, for example, in the big cancer charity here in Australia, um, worked at a hepatitis charity for a while, so those sorts of things. So quite a, quite a big change from, <laughs> from doing that to writing humorous copy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing because so I described you as a freelance copywriter, but more specifically, yeah, you do sort of hone in on making things funny and like making, for example, email campaigns funny, right? Yes, that's right. When you first went freelance as a copywriter, that is, were you like doing any copywriting, like serious copywriting, or like how how long did it take you to to end up doing that? particular niche? Sure. Um, So when I first started, it was a bit of a mixed bag, really, because I had written my blog in my style. So it is my natural style is, I guess, hopefully quite funny, quite relaxed, quite conversational. And that's what my friend's company were looking for. I was writing in that style for them. But then the contacts that I got through that role, they were mainly in the hotel and travel industry, and they were a lot more corporate. So it took me about a year and a half, I think, and it took me actually signing up to sort of like a think tank group called the Copywriter Accelerator before I was able to give myself permission to just hone in on what I actually enjoyed doing the most. And that was a big turning point for me, I think, in my freelance career. Wow. So what was the Copywriter Accelerator? Um, so I was going through this phase, it was I think last September maybe, where I was just feeling like a little bit flat about what I was doing because I think I left my counselling career with the idea of creating and shaping this lifestyle that I would love, you know, that I would enjoy doing that work every day. Um, I would create my days um, to make me happy essentially. And there I was sort of out of momentum feeling a bit lost and, yeah, writing some stuff that was quite corporate, quite boring, not quite me. And as luck would have it, I remember being on Facebook one day and Facebook suggested I join a group called the Copywriter Club and I was like, sure, Facebook, why not? And I got in there and they were advertising this accelerator group which was pitched as a way to learn all the business facets. So not the actual copywriting. It wasn't to help with that, which was good. I didn't need help with that. I needed help (laughs) learning about processes and payments and structures and packages and all those sorts of things. And the very first module in that was about finding your niche and working out what you actually liked doing and what you were good at doing. So that was the start of my transition, I guess, from do whatever to write funny things. Wow. So you took a lot out of that out of joining that group was it a course as well or just like a conversational type group um so it was a course so it was three months I think and they had a set uh, number of modules to work through I think 
they were two weeks long each. I can't remember. But they're on things like finding your niche, like packaging, pricing, marketing. And the last one, I probably can't swear, but it was get the F out there. So also I'm promoting yourself. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But there was also a Slack group for the people in the course. Um, So there were, I think, about 20 of us. Um, So it was also great because it got me out of my echo chamber a bit because I do work from home. So, you know, some days I'd be tossing ideas around with (laughs) no one to like bounce them back to me or pick holes in them. And then all of a sudden when I joined this group, I was like, oh, this is great. Real people who are like struggling with similar things. So incredibly helpful in so many ways. Wow. Okay. So what changes did you start to make to your business then off the back of that? Yeah. Um, so the very first change I made was my website. So if you go to my website now, it's a bit weird and a bit crazy. The homepage features a pug in a banana costume. So from the outset, <laughs> you know that it's a bit a bit different and you realise that what I'm doing is, is specialising in funny copy. But before the Accelerator Group, my website was very bland and boring. Like it would not have stood out in any sort of lineup whatsoever. Um, so that was the first change I made. And then from there, it was about seeking out different projects. So yeah, I think from there, like I'm still doing that. I still have one client at the moment that is a little bit too corporate for me. So hopefully I'll continue growing and be able to maybe um, pass them on to someone else in the next few months. Um, But aside from that, almost all my projects now are just, I love them. I love getting stuck into them. So I feel like I'm onto a good thing. And when it came to getting your, you know, putting yourself DF out there, in what way did you do that? So, I mean, that was a a number of things to me. I have to admit, I didn't go full ball into that challenge because my calendar was already quite full, which was great. So I think one thing I've been very good at without really intending to is putting myself in front of the right people to get better and to get more work. Um, So for me, that's been getting myself in front of a few copywriters who are very well established and working with the kinds of clients that would be my ideal clients. So that's been one way to fill out my calendar. So with that in mind, my getting the F out there was more about creating an Instagram account, looking for podcasts to pitch to, which I still haven't done yet, actually. So you're my very first podcast. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> and just just various things like that. Um, cold emailing was also something that I've earmarked for, for future. And I do need to start doing that soon. That's on my to-do list for sure. <laughs> So you also touched on the fact that you work from home. You'd been in a business, and quite a serious business, one would imagine as well, although maybe it helps having humour within it. Like, How did it feel going from being a counsellor to doing something so different from presumably being parts of teams to working by yourself? Yeah, so that was a very big change. You're right. I mean, (laughs) to clear out one of your points, there's certainly a role for humour in counselling, even palliative care. Um, I think it can help with the right client. So I didn't have a I didn't have a non-funny existence pre-copy, but I've certainly been allowed to bring that more to the fore since I, since I made the transition. So I mean, the biggest change for me really has been moving from an employee mindset to a business owner mindset, and I think it's something that every freelancer should do, preferably sooner rather than later, because I'd spent my pre-copy career being someone's employee, so being told what to do, having a set role, having set responsibilities, having set work hours um, and getting a set paycheck at the end of each month. So to go from that into, I guess, being everything for myself, so being my manager, my supervisor, the person that approves things, the person who pays myself, you know, it's, it's quite a big change. And I definitely didn't get that right, I think, until late last year. And that's certainly been something that's really helped me grow my business and, and made me a lot happier with how I'm spending my days. What things were you doing wrong as your own boss? 
So I think some things I was doing wrong, I was having a focus on just simply getting the work done, so getting the job done. And then when I switched from that to having a business ownership mindset, the focus became on my expertise and the value I could add to projects. So I became a resource and not just a worker and was also able, I guess, to create demand for myself rather than chase it. And I think that's a really key difference between uh, focusing in that employee mindset where you're sort of just used to doing what comes to you or waiting around to actually taking the reins and and making what you want. Mm, Yeah, making opportunities for yourself rather than waiting for things to be given to you. And and how about the, and, and also, I mean, like going from that, you know, from that career to something so very different, were there like skills that you took from that? Like, can you see things that you'd picked up through the years of doing that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I can see them more clearly now than initially because copy is all about selling, right? So when I made the switch, I was very aware that having an insight into how people think and behave and feel would be very helpful uh, in helping businesses make those sales. But beyond that, I think there's other skills that have actually come in very handy for me. Um, So for example, uh, if I'm interviewing prospects, so, you know, before someone signs on, signs their contract and signs on to work with me, I'm very good at making them feel heard and feel understood, which I think is a huge asset because obviously people want to hire someone that they think gets what they're doing and gets what they're aiming for, um, not just someone who sort of comes along and (laughs) railroads that conversation. I think I'm also good at creating boundaries for myself and taking care of myself because those two things really are baked into everything about a counselling career. Like right from your first uni subject (laughs) and, you know, all through all through your work, you actually have um, set time during the week to speak with the supervisor about how you're feeling, how you're going, what boundaries need to be strengthened or put in place. So that's just part of how I am in the world and has been very helpful with how I am in business. Mm. It's an interesting phrase there, interviewing prospects. So does that mean sometimes people come to you, you know, offering you work and then you turn it down? Yes, I think I'm potentially almost a bit too protective of myself in that I think I probably turn down more clients than maybe I should. But just being aware, I mean, you know, all freelancers talk about Peter clients, which is pain in the ass, P-I-T-A. <laughs> I, I hope I can say ass. Oh, sorry, I should have checked that first. <laughs> well, it's twice now. So. <laughs> um, so I think something that's key when someone approaches you for work is to check in with where they are in their business and what their expectations are for the project. Because I think if they're going into a project, so for example, a launch project or something, and they have no email list, no existing audience, and they're wanting to sell like, you know, 300 enrolments to a course, it's unrealistic. And I think you're going to be really up against it if you sign on to that. And I think being honest with them about what their expectations maybe should be or how long it takes to build engagement and build a list and build out a product, that can make them reject you as well. So it sort of goes both ways, I guess. But yes, quite protective of myself. So I I do always speak with clients before I take on a big project. And it sometimes means that I let them know that I don't think we're a good fit. And if that's the case, if I do have someone else that I know that might be a better match for them, then I usually refer them on. So I don't leave them high and dry. It's a a polite no, (laughs) but it's a no nonetheless. Like when you work on a project, are you keen to get metrics, you know, as in evidence out the other side of it to show that what you've been doing has worked? Absolutely, which is one of the great things about emails and conversion copy in general, because you can see what's worked, where it's worked and what hasn't. So that's all great too, because I think it's a big process of self-improvement. 
And without that data, you're sort of going in a bit blind. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good thing to have. So let's let's go back to that whole like taking care of yourself thing that you mentioned in there as well. So how do you go about taking care of yourself like week by week or month by month? Um, so I am very mindful of how many projects I take on at once. That's not to say that I've had a perfect record of, you know, never stretching myself too far because that has certainly happened. But I know the first signs of when I'm starting to feel burnt out. And when I feel those, what I actually do is just give myself the day off, which can seem very counterintuitive, particularly if I'm very busy and very booked out. But I just know from experience that if I'm not feeling sort of sharp and awake and fresh, my copy is going to be terrible. Like I'm going to sit there for hours and hours and plug away at something that is not a good representation of my skills. (laughs) Whereas if I take the day off and come back refreshed the next day, then I'm probably going to be able to get through it in half the amount of time and it's going to be twice as good. So simple things like that. Aside from that, just, you know, taking time during the day to enjoy the fact that my hours are flexible. So I live near the beach here in Sydney, so I might be going for a swim at lunchtime, might be going for a run, listening to a podcast, reading a book, honestly, whatever I feel like. And that's the beauty of self-care. You get to do what you actually enjoy. (laughs) Yeah, because you did say you wanted to, like, part of the thing of going freelance was the fact that you wanted to be able to create days to make you happy. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that was such a key thing, I think, um, because it is such a privilege, I think, as a freelancer, as a business owner, to create something that feeds you in all the right ways. And I think there is maybe a tendency for people to get caught up in just thinking about the bottom line, so about how much money they're bringing in. And I certainly get that that's important and it's certainly a motivator, you know, to earn better money. But it's also not the be-all and end-all. I think there's so much other wealth in life apart from money. So if that means just having a smile on your face all day, working in your pyjamas when you feel like it, making yourself a lunch you enjoy because you're at home and you have access to a kitchen, like little things like that. I think at the end of a long life, I'll look back and I'll be like, yep, I did that right. You obviously found a lot of value from finding that online community. How about people in real life? Oh, no. (laughs) No, I'm joking. (laughs) Um, I am <laughs> I, I'm a bit of an introvert and I actually like working by myself, as in in my own space. I finally need to get into a flow to write efficiently. So I do have a few friends who also have their own businesses and I've tried a few times sort of working with them, but we just end up chatting. So it's not really an effective use of my time, I guess. I'd rather catch up with them on Saturday when I can actually disconnect from work and have fun. But, I mean, having said that, the online group that I joined, um, that business had a conference in New York in February. So I actually went to that. So I got to meet a lot of those people in real life. And that was amazing because you already had that bond. And it was really great to put like a face to a name to be able to like poke everyone like they're real, they're 3D. Yeah. So I mean, I, I feel connected, um, but I don't feel the need to do a whole lot of in-person networking. And that may change, I guess, down the track, but for the moment it's working for me and I'm happy. <laughs> and are all your clients remote as well? Uh, they are all, yeah, they are now. So I had one for about nine months. So I was actually working in office two days a week here in Sydney, which was good because that was, um, I started up with them almost as soon as I stopped working my counselling job. So it almost helped with the transition a bit, I think. But yeah, most of my clients are actually based overseas now. So yeah, no chance of being in office with them. <laughs> And how do you find like dealing, like managing clients at a distance, especially, I mean, I don't know, but obviously being in Australia, you're at the most extreme of the time zones, perhaps when dealing with other people. 
<laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think one of the good things, though, about the extreme nature of the Australian time zone is that we're ahead. So it's great for deadlines because I have almost like an extra day to finish off things and get them to the client so that when they wake up, say, on the Friday, it's there waiting for them, whereas my Friday's been and gone, if that makes sense. So it, it actually works quite well. And I've just started doing day rates as well, actually, as another service that I'm offering and have had uh, one US client who's used a few of them. And that's worked really well. And we've both talked about how great it is that we have the time difference because I can, yeah, like work on things while she sleeps, essentially, and she wakes up and they're done. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah, using it to your advantage. That's true. I had a client in New York. And I love the fact that I could, on that particular project, I could take the afternoon off, like with my kids and stuff, not worry about it, knowing that actually my deadline for them wasn't until like 10, 11 o'clock in the evening for me. So, you know, while some people are like, oh, but you're working your evening. I was like, yeah, but during the day I was in the park. So, yeah, I, I quite liked having that client. The, the whole 10 p.m. thing was good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, we, we've sort of touched upon finances coming out and you know, packages and maybe even earning huge sums not being the be end and all. And be all. <laughs> it's all right. I know where you're going. Being the, <laughs> being the be all and end all. There it is. But um, how have you coped with that side of it? Um, so I think, again, it's started to come together for me quite well since late last year. I think before that, I made a mistake that I think potentially a lot of freelancers do. And I'm only saying this because I've, I've talked to people who have done it. So I'm sure it's, it's happening out there in the world. But because I changed career and in my counselling career, I was very highly qualified. You know, I had lots of things to back me up. I was also lecturing at a university. So I had things to point to to sort of demonstrate my value. And then I moved into this whole new career without any sort of formal education for it, just talent, I guess, and a will to learn. Um, so to start with, my rates won't super high. But once I realized, again, moving that, moving from the employee mindset to a business owner mindset, once I realized that I was actually in control of my rates, you know, I didn't have to get them approved by anyone, I started increasing them quite quickly. And I found that that hasn't actually really impacted the demand I have, which is great. Um, it just means I was probably undercharging earlier. And I think, I mean, rates will be an ongoing question, I think, because I'm sure there's a point where you can't raise them anymore because you're sort of overvaluing yourself. But at the same time, given that you're constantly growing and learning and getting new skills and more experience and hopefully also making a bigger name out there for yourself, you know, as you work with clients who are happy and they refer their friends or whoever to you, demand still increases. So, you know, I think I will continue to increase my rates probably relatively regularly, at least for the foreseeable future. <laughs> mm. I guess that must help, though, when... Do you base them on the amount of time that you spend on something or because of the very metric driven side of what you're doing, are you able to say, well, look at the value that it's bringing you, if you see what I mean? Yeah, I see what you mean. Um, and definitely um, for most of my services, it's a, a value-based pricing system. Um, so I was initially doing hours um, or words sometimes back in the back in the early days of my freelancing um, but I've moved away from that um, the only time-based offering I have now is a day rate and I mean really even if you break that down to an hourly rate it would be a big hourly rate so even that is is sold based on the value that my clients will get from it uh, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself make two true one a lie and let me figure out the lie so what do you have for me okay are you ready <laughs> 
So I once burnt both my eyebrows off when I was trying to light a gas barbecue. <laughs> Don't laugh. My face was horrendous. <laughs> I hit a pole in the final few seconds of my otherwise flawless driving test. And I once locked myself out of my apartment while wearing a Snuggie. <laughs> okay, so you burnt your eyebrows off. Now, whilst lighting a gas barbecue, the thing is you're Australian and uh, I, th- I feel like in Australia you're you're almost weaned from from breast to barbecue like there is it's trained in you how to light them would you be so amateur as to burn your eyebrows off like why why were you getting so close especially a gas one a gas one you have like the little ignite button what were you doing first of all you've just hurt my self-confidence quite a bit I'm a bad Australian with no barbecue skills. <laughs> no, so what, what I was doing, I was on holiday with some friends and the place we were staying had like a communal barbecue area that had those barbecues where you press the button and it's meant to light with the gas. Anyway, <laughs> I was trying to light it and I pressed the button for a few seconds and nothing happened. So I was like, oh, that's weird. Tried it again, nothing happened. <laughs> so then stupidly on my third try, I leant over to look sort of down at the hot plate <laughs> which was the wrong decision because it lit that time and this <laughs> this huge flame came up and obviously caught all the gas that had been pooling there from my previous attempts. And I leant back. I luckily didn't burn my skin, but it singed my eyebrow hairs and they like essentially just curled up and fell off and I had no eyebrows for it was four or five weeks in the end. <laughs> God, it's the fire brigade on standby just in case you... Uh... I'm, on their, I'm on their hot list. <laughs> Oh, okay. That that kind of so, so driving test. You were doing really well, and then you hit a pole. Yes. <laughs> so I was seventeen. So I was a young Kirsty, and I'd had this really great test. I'd done like an awesome reverse park. Everything was going well, um, and then we got back to the Department of Transport, which is like the government building here in Australia, where you get your license. And my examiner said, "All right, just park somewhere here, and we'll go upstairs and get your license sorted for you." And I think at that point, I must have just got so excited by the fact that I'd passed first time <laughs> that I just forgot to concentrate. And as I was parking, I hit a pole and crumpled the, <laughs> crumpled the front of the car. <laughs> and I remember just like closing my eyes and being like, oh, my God, Kirsty, what have you done? And I like slowly opened them and looked over to the examiner, hopefully, hoping that maybe because he'd already said it, he couldn't take it back. <laughs> but he was like, oh, He's like, no, love, I can't give it to you now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay, that sounds so convincing. Again, not casting aspersions on your character, but that sounds entirely plausible. And so you got locked out wearing pyjamas and a Snuggie, a slang kit. And then, so then what did you do? Um, so then, so <laughs> give you a bit of backstory. It was when I first moved down to Sydney and I'd moved down from Queensland. I don't know how well you know Australia, but it's much warmer up there. So my housemate and I had moved down together and her mum had sent us some Snuggies because we were complaining about how cold it was down here. <laughs> so we got them and we were, we were loving them for the first weekend we had them because they were like such a fun novelty item <laughs> that we thought we would go out and greet the man who was delivering our tie in our matching snuggies just for a laugh. We pranced outside to meet him and he wasn't even that impressed. He was just like, "Uh, whatever. (laughs) We were disappointed. (laughs) So we took our bag of like pad tie or whatever, came back to the front door and both stood there for a few seconds and then looked at each other. And we realised at that moment that neither of us had brought our keys and we were like, oh, no. 
So we went to our, we were in an apartment building, went to our neighbour um, who we called Creepy Bruce because his name was Bruce and he was slightly creepy. <laughs> Told him what had happened and in the end we had to borrow his barbecue tongs. Again, barbecue Australian, comes in handy. <laughs> um, and they're just like very, very long tongs. So he used them to reach through my window and pull my handbag close to the door <laughs> and then put my wallet out of my hand, handbag and like up to the window and got my keys out that way. So yeah, it was a mission. <laughs> wow. Although, don't give creepy Bruce ideas, but it was so easy to get into your apartment. <laughs> I know. The window was locked after that. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, these are all totally believable. To the extent that almost the one that isn't is the eyebrows. Uh, I mean, in Australia, you do have those communal barbecues. You do have gas barbecues. Yeah, because I, like living in Britain, I always thought, you know, a proper barbecue was done with charcoal. And then you go to Australia and you realise that you've all realised what a faff that is. And if you're going to eat outside every day, you're going to use gas. And you're like, oh, okay. Came back, bought a gas one. I'm going to say the eyebrows isn't true. Yeah, you're right. Eyebrows isn't true. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Which means that your Australian pride is in place. That's right. It's intact. Which means the other two are great with Creepy Bruce. Hello, if he's listening. Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Ooh, I would tell my younger self to get in the driver's seat much earlier and just take control and build something I love from the outset. So just get ballsy and don't ask for permission. Don't waste time waiting to be told what to do, essentially. <laughs> nice, yeah. Can you now sit there and think, would it be possible for me not to spend that first year doing general stuff. Do you think it would have been possible to to go into what you're doing now? I actually think it would have been, in all honesty, because I didn't, like, when I made the transition, I didn't do any special, like, copy training to make that move. I just picked the thing I liked the best and went after it. So I think, I don't know, maybe I built up some confidence and some, like, client skills and that sort of stuff by then, but potentially possible. I don't know. I'll never know, will I? (laughs) (laughs) No. Well, excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear that business is going well and that work life. I mean, for somebody who just, you know, took a gap year and went to France, it sounds like you've got a pretty good tag on the the life side of work-life balance as well. So that's good to hear. I urge you go to beingfreelance.com and check out Kirsty's website because it is well worth a look uh, and a read to to see what she's up to. And there'll be links to that you can say hi online as well. Uh, But Kirsty, thanks so much and all the best being freelance. Thanks so much, Steve. This was great. Look forward to hearing you on another podcast now. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> now, now, yeah, well, you know, you didn't trash this one, so I think you can, you can write that in your emails. Look, I managed not to ruin his one. Maybe I'll be good on yours. <laughs> I only said ask twice. <laughs> Actually, three times now, three times. Oh. <laughs>